You know what I've been, uh, I've never been manly enough to do is uh, play hockey. Uh, if you're a hockey player in the room, you probably know what I'm talking about, but there seems to be this weird kind of culture around hockey where it's like, oh, I'm so tough. Like, I, take, I check people, I hit people, I take slap shots to the face, right? Because like, I was a baseball player for 17 years, and so I was really embarrassed last month when I was watching the Twins game. Jake Odorizzi was one of our pitchers, and he came out of the game in the second inning because he got a blister on his finger. And I'm thinking, man, come on. Don't, don't shame the game like that, but he did. And it was kind of embarrassing because I'm a really big hockey fan too. I love watching the Wild. But I was watching the Stanley Cup playoffs last month in June, and Zidane Chara, he plays for the Boston Bruins. I got a picture of him. Um, he's huge, freak of nature big. Uh, the tall guy, obviously. But he played in a game with a broken jaw. Isn't that crazy? Like, if you watch hockey, you know how hard they hit. If you watch hockey, you know how hard they shoot, and he played with a broken jaw. Honestly, I was like, what in the heck? But as I was watching this game, it made me think of another guy called, his name was Terry Sawchuk. He played back in the 1960s. Uh, this is Terry. And you, you know what he's famous for, right? His face. Yeah, it's very obvious. Um, he has over 400 stitches in his face because he was a goalie in the NHL, and he didn't wear a mask. And back in like the 60s and earlier before that, they didn't wear helmets when they played hockey. And I'm like... I'm looking at this guy's picture because they show it like once a week at NHL games. It's funny because it's just so crazy. I'm looking at this and I think, why? Right? Why would anybody play a hockey game, a professional hockey game, and not wear a helmet, not wear a mask? It just, it drives me nuts. Like, for one, why would you want to look like that? Two, why would you want to think like that, right? He's probably got a little something going on in his brain now. He probably can't think straight because he's taking so many blows to the head, 400 stitches to the face. It's just crazy. It's mind-boggling to me. I just don't understand it. But as I thought about you know, our series that we're in right now, talking about spiritual warfare, and tonight or this morning we're talking about the helmet of salvation, I wonder how many Christians are walking around looking like this. Well, the picture was there. <laughs> are walking around looking like Terry. Not physically, because y'all look beautiful this morning, but spiritually and mentally. How many of us are going through life with crippling fear, crippling anxiety, and crippling depression? It is running rampant through our culture today. And there's so many different reasons what you could say why it's happening. But I think, I think the number one reason why anxiety, fear, and depression are so prevalent today is because of spiritual warfare, because we have an enemy, Satan, who wants to mess with our minds. And a lot of people think that this is just a student issue, because I'm a youth pastor, so you know, I hang out with students all the time. And it is. It's a big issue with students. There's so many students, just in our youth group alone, but even farther than that, a lot of students everywhere struggling with fear, anxiety, and depression. But honestly, as I talk to more and more adults, as I just, you know, continue to live my life, I see that this is a problem not just with high school and middle school students, but this is a problem with everyone. Whether it's our financial situation whether we've got a kid who's making bad decisions and he hasn't come home in a few weeks, whether we got whatever it might be, there are so many adults and students struggling with these three core issues that mess with our minds today. And before I go any further, I want to kind of throw out a little disclaimer here. So many people 
have been burned by so many churches because our answer to anxiety and depression and fear has always been, well, just pray about it. Just pray. Are you depressed? Just pray. That's it. Don't take medication. Don't go get therapy. Just pray. And honestly, I'm not trying to belittle the power of prayer and that we should pray because we should. But medication and therapy and counseling and good people around you to help you, those are gifts of God. And we need to be careful with all avenues that we take, but those are gifts from God. And so if that's you, don't feel shame and don't feel like I'm just telling you, go pray about it. Because, yeah, pray, but also, you know, do what's healthy for you. But as we talk about fear, anxiety, and depression, we have to know that this is a huge problem. And that on our backs, and Satan is after us. And before I move any, forward, any farther forward, I just want to say as well that, you know, we have to be careful when we talk about spiritual warfare. Because, you know, on one end, we have to recognize that it's real and that it's dangerous. But on the other end, you know, we have to know that not every bad thing that happens to us, not every feeling of anxiety or not every bad thing in our life happens is spiritual warfare. Like there's days where I go throughout my day and I'm just like, man, I'm lethargic today. I just don't feel like doing anything. I don't know if I'm depressed, like mm, Satan attacking me. I don't know. And then I think, well, okay, I've had four Mountain Dews. I had two Jack's pizzas for lunch. I ate a whole box of Kraft mac and cheese for dinner. Right? There's natural consequences of the choices that we make sometimes. But on you know, the other side of it, we do have an enemy. And our enemy, the devil, is prowling around, First Peter says, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And honestly, I wonder, is it you? Is it you that's sitting here today? Because like I said, you're a Christian. You have been born with a target on your mind, on your back. Satan is after you. He wants you to walk away from Jesus. He doesn't want you to be in church. He doesn't want you to feel encouraged. He doesn't even want you to feel like he exists. He wants you to walk through your life thinking that you are alone on this journey. But that's where, obviously, the Bible <laughs> comes in and what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to go to Jesus' baptism in Luke chapter 4. Because it's, there's so much truth in the story of Jesus' baptism. You know, a lot of us know that when we, when we have a spiritual high, when we're on a spiritual high, when we're feeling close to Jesus, life is good. Like when we get baptized, I mean, I've never met anybody that's gotten baptized that come up out of the water and say, okay, I'm ready to go home, right? Like when we get baptized, something spiritual happens to us and it's an amazing feeling. But the truth that we have to know is that when we are on a spiritual high, expect a spiritual low is coming. Because the higher the mountain, the lower the valley. That's just the truth. So Jesus gets baptized. And in, in Luke chapter 4, it says, you know, that he went into the wilderness because he was led by the Holy Spirit for 40 days. And if you know the story, Jesus was tempted three different times by Satan while he was in the wilderness after he got baptized. And if you know the end of the story, there's great news. He never sinned. He stayed faithful to God. And he stayed perfect. But at the end of the story, there's a few words that holds so much weight and so much truth to the battle that we are facing today. It's Luke chapter 4, verse 13. It says, When the devil had finished all his tempting against Jesus, he left him until an opportune time. Did you catch those last two words? An opportune time. Satan isn't always around us at every moment, causing every bad thing to happen to every person. He does not have that power. Satan is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He can't be in all places. Only God can. But what he can do is he can lurk around. 
And he's going to find moments in your life, he's going to find opportunities in your life to jump in and attack. When I was 10 years old, I went to the doctor because I had been struggling for as long as I could remember, probably since I was, you know, four or five, six years old, with these things that were diagnosed as, they're called ticks. Now, ticks are kind of related to Tourette's. It's related to OCD. I had these compulsive, like, urges to move my body. Not like dance, because I'm horrible at dancing, so thank God I can't, you know, I can stop dancing. That's a good thing. It's a gift. But if you ever notice, and you're probably not going to notice on stage because I'm like hyper-focused and I'm like in your face all the time, but in everyday life, when I'm just going through life having great conversations and just doing stuff, you might notice my arms. They're so big, right? No. <laughs> but my arm, if you, if you can notice, is kind of shaking and like tensing up. It's because I have a weird like need, like I have to like, fl- like, flex my arm. It's a weird, like my toes too. I'm wearing shoes so you can't see them. But sometimes I just can't stop curling. Unless it's you, Mad Dog. Does ever wink at you? I'm not actually winking at you unless it's you, Mad Dog. That's my way. That's my way. I'm not actually winking at you. I just blink really aggressively like this sometimes. Because there's this weird like compulsive need in my body that I've got to move it. And for so long, I didn't know what this was until I was actually diagnosed with it. But the reason why I actually went to the doctor and I wanted to get this taken care of was because I went through elementary school, I went through middle school, and even parts of high school with kids looking at me like, what's wrong with your face? Why are you moving like that? Did you just wink at me? Is your arm twitching? What? And all these questions brought in in my life fear, anxiety, and depression. Because I knew or I felt like every single person that I would talk to, every single person I'd even be in the same room with was always looking at me because I was doing this weird thing with my arms or with my face. I felt like that weird kid who had something wrong with him. And when I would look around the room, when I would talk to my friends, I never saw one other person in my life do this. And so I walked around thinking that I'm different I'm weird, I'm not normal, and because of that, I'm not worthy of love or respect. And I know that for some of you, you might be thinking, holy cow, that is a stretch, man. It's not that big of a deal. But this is exactly how Satan works. He takes these little imperfections about ourselves, or he takes these imperfections about our lives, and he takes them as an opportunity to dive in. You know, these ticks are not from Satan. It's just a weird neurological thing in my body, and I have to be okay with that, and I am now. Obviously, I'm talking about it with you, but these ticks are not from Satan. The thoughts of evil, the thoughts of anxiety, the thoughts of fear, and the depression that came along with it for years and years and years, that's where Satan saw an opportune time, and that's where Satan jumped into my life. And so it's wise for us as believers that as we're fighting this battle, it's wise for us to know what is our opportune time in our life. What area of your life is Satan ready to pounce? What areas of your life has Satan been attacking you? Where do you find the most fear? When do you struggle with anxiety or depression the most? You know, for a lot of us, probably about 90% of us, we worry about our finances on a day-to-day basis. But I just want to be very straight with you. Having a couple extra beers, because you're so anxious about it, is not going to solve anything. If you're worried about your kids, 
Or maybe you're exhausted from hanging out with your kids. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, and it's exhausting, and because of your exhaustion, you're falling into a little bit of depression. Not that you don't love your kids, but parents in the room, yes, it's exhausting. I have a one-year-old daughter, love her to death. But man, there are tiring days. But even though we might get depressed, we might feel exhausted, it doesn't give us a license to then go to our friends and gossip about our husband or wife. That's a Band-Aid, not a solution. And that's where Satan wants to jump into your life. He's going to take those weak moments, and he's going to give you thoughts, like go gossip, or be anxious, or be afraid. And that's when Satan jumps into our life. And so if we want to combat this, if we want to fight against this, we need to put on our helmet of salvation, as Ephesians chapter 6 talks about. And I'm going to read it for you. It says, starting in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do you hear that? It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against your neighbor. It's not against your boss. It's not against your spouse. It's not against the president. It's not against the senator. It's against the authorities, the powers of the dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm, take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Our protection and our final piece of armor that protects us from the spiritual warfare that we face is the helmet of salvation. Honestly, as we talk about the, the armor of God, we've talked about you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the belt of truth, and the, the helmet of salvation. All of these things sound really good, but don't they sound really spiritual? It's almost like something where, oh yeah, we know what we're talking about when we say helmet of salvation. But at the same time, I have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about the helmet of salvation, right? It's just like, it's this idea in the Bible where it sounds really good, but what does it actually mean for us as we fight to put it on? It's Satan. We have to figure out what the helmet of salvation actually means before we can actually put it on. The helmet is a helmet, obviously, but the helmet is a helmet because Satan, when he attacks, he attacks your mind. And so you need protection for your mind. And we call it the helmet of salvation because where does the truth of God, where does the good news of Jesus, where does the encouragement from all those verses in the Bible that you love so much, where does it all live? It lives in your mind. And if we can keep those scriptures if we can keep that encouragement on our minds consistently, what we are going to be reminded of is that we have a hope for our eternity. The good news of Jesus Christ is that when you believe in him, that he came down to this earth, that he died a brutal, painful death, he bore the wrath of God for your sins and for my sins so that we didn't have to. He sacrificed himself. He went to the grave and rose three days later. If we believe in him and we put our trust in him, we believe that message, we get eternal salvation. There is going to be a day when all this anxiety, all this depression, all this fear is no longer an issue anymore, but we get to live in perfection with Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel right there. But there's more to this word salvation. There's more than meets the eye because there's two sides of it. Salvation 
The definition of salvation isn't in heaven with Jesus for eternity. That's the result of salvation, yes. But what's the definition of salvation? It's deliverance. We are commanded to put on our helmet of deliverance every single day. When Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, the enemy, he is a liar and he's a thief, but I have come so that you may live life and live it to the full. And what that doesn't mean is that you're going to have, you know, fancy cars, fancy cars, you know, big houses and, and fancy rings. Mine was like 60 bucks on Amazon, so there you go. I'm too cheap. I'm too cheap. But when Jesus said he has come so that you may live life to the full, he doesn't mean all these things are all of a sudden going to be given to you. What he's talking about is he's saying, if you have me, if you have put your trust in me, if you're following me every single day, if you are putting on your helmet of salvation, you are going to have joy, you're going to have peace, and you're going to have fulfillment and satisfaction in your life. How many of you right now, that sounds so much better than anxiety, depression, and fear? And I know that's, a, that's such a dumb question to ask because all of us want that, but how many of us are living in that? To the full. That's the gift of Jesus. That's the great news that the gospel gives us is that we are not only saved in heaven for eternity, but we can be saved and delivered right here, right now. Jesus would not say, I have come so that you may live life to the full if he wasn't able to give it. He's not dangling this over your head like it could one day be achieved, but who knows if we'll ever get there. You can get it now. And you can get that now because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because not only did Jesus defeat sin on the cross, he defeated death. He overcame death. He rose from it. And he overcame the evil one. What he's showing is that he is stronger than Satan, he has power over death, and he breaks the power and the curse of sin. And if you put your hope and your trust in him, and in in him alone, not your money, not your spouse, not anything else in the world, but you put your trust and you follow him, you can have that joy, you can have that peace, because you too have overcome death. You too can now have power over your sin through the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The fact that the Holy Spirit can renew your mind tells you that you have good news. That you don't have to live in your fear, your anxiety, or depression anymore, but that you can actually think clearly, and you can walk forward in this life clearly, knowing the truth about who you are. That you're not weird, that you're not different, but you're a child of God. And if you can hold that truth over your head and you can wear it like a helmet for the rest of your life, you are going to walk through this life not worrying about what other people think of you, not worrying about what's going to happen to you, but knowing that you not only have hope for your eternity, but you have hope every single day that you open your eyes. That's the gift of Jesus. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says that he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the reasons why so many of us 
are so miserable and stuck in our fear and our depression and our anxiety is because we have chosen self-preservation over spirit transformation. You know, I know it's so easy when we're feeling like this, when we get stuck in these ruts, it's so easy to all of a sudden put yourself into preservation mode. Where it's like, I'm in a battle right now, but I still got to go to work. I'm in a battle right now, but I still got to be a parent. I'm in a battle right now, but I still got to go through life. And so we put a smile on our face, we buck up, and we continue to just try to be strong. All you're doing is preserving yourself. You're not actually moving forward. Strong people don't put a smile on their face and just walk through life even though there's problems. Strong people deal with their problems and they know where to go. You know, with my tics, you know, it bothered me for so long. And I didn't find true freedom from it until about two years ago when I actually started talking to my wife about it. And she knew it. She saw it. We lived together, obviously. And so she kind of knew about it. But there was finally a moment where we started to talk about it and talk about why it was bothering me. And because I talked to my wife about it, I started talking to God about it. I started actually dealing with the issue. And now, honestly, my arms could flail up and down, up and down, up and down, and I wouldn't care. Because I don't worry about what other people think of me anymore. My hope is in Jesus. My life is about Jesus, and I'm not perfect. But man, I have a heavenly Father who is, and that's where my hope rests. And so I want to challenge you. Stop preserving yourself and start heading towards the Holy Spirit to be transformed. And what I mean by this, I mean, you know, obviously we need to pray, but what I mean is that, you know, for so long, my prayers to God were always like, God, please take this away. Amen. (laughs) It's not going to change anything because God wants to know your heart. That's why King David said, search me and know me. If your prayers look like this, God, take this away, amen. Instead of looking like this, God, I'm fearful. I hate the way that people look at me. I'm fearful every time I walk into a room. Help me. This is how I'm feeling. These are my exact emotions. These are my exact thoughts. As soon as we start praying prayers like that, you're going to feel the chains fall off. Because the more you are honest with God, and he knows what you're going through already, but he wants you to tell him because that's what a relationship is. But the more that you are honest with God, the more freedom you are going to find in the, in the spiritual attacks of the enemy. We've got to start dealing with this. We've got to start trusting that the Holy Spirit can take even our deepest, darkest, whether it's sins or habits, whatever it might be, and he can take, Jesus can take your point of pain and he can turn it into your victory. You don't have to live in fear, anxiety, or depression anymore. You can walk forward in freedom. But honestly, when we're depressed, when we're anxious, when we're fearful, how many of you find it really easy to get out of it? Wow, zero people. Great, good job. (laughs) There's a reason for this. It's because when we're not thinking clearly, oftentimes we know what the right answer is. We know we're just supposed to pray, right? (laughs) We know what the right answer is, but to actually do it is a whole different ballgame. Here's what we need. We need to not only learn how to put our helmet of salvation on, remember the truth of the gospel, remember who we are as children of God. We need to not only remember how to do that for ourselves, but for other people as well. I have a picture of my one-year-old daughter, Izzy, and she's so cute. But 
every morning when I get her ready for daycare, you know what she does? She grabs her onesie off the changing table while I'm changing her diaper, and she just puts it on her head. And she goes, Dada, shirt. She can't dress herself. Why would, she, why would she even try? She can't do it herself. And you know, that in, you know the story of David and Goliath? Who put the armor on David? Saul. Because when we're in the middle of the battle, oftentimes we don't have the wherewithal to even know what to do. We need people in our lives. Not just who are going to text us late at night to make sure that we're doing okay, but people who are going to pray with us, counsel us, and be a family. That's why we exist here at New Hope Community Church. We don't exist so you can just walk by and go, oops, sorry, excuse me, so Minnesotan. We exist to pray for one another. We exist to be a body of believers who walk forward with Jesus together. And so who do you have in your life helping you put on your helmet? And whose helmet are you helping put theirs on? We need to do this together. And so I want to leave you this morning with, with just three practical tips. Because we know that putting on the helmet of salvation is remembering the gospel, remembering the truth of Jesus, and that we are his child. You know, if you struggle with fear, if you struggle with anxiety, stop watching CSI. I'm going to shout it. Stop watching scary movies and horror movies. I'm being serious. And I know that they're fun and they're funny or they're like, oh, it's fun to be scared. But at the same time, why are we entertaining fear in our lives if we're fearful every single day? We don't need to go on the haunted hayrides. We don't need to go to the haunted houses. We don't need to do all these things in our lives. Because the more we input fearful things, the more we output fearful things. So don't feed the beast. Number two, prepare for battle. Like the Bible says, Satan looks for an opportune time. And so if your opportune time is at work or at school, if those are the places that you feel the most attacked, bump some KTIS on the way there. Don't be ashamed. I know they play the same two songs over and over and over and over and over and over. But hey, the more you fill your mind with the Bible, the more you fill your mind with good worship music, the more you fill your mind with, with Jesus things, the more you're going to be prepared. We got to be smart about what we're putting into our lives. And we got to be smart about the way that we are preparing. And finally, number three is declare war. We got to start taking spiritual warfare seriously. We got to start recognizing that it's real. And one trick that Satan uses against us is he tries to trick us to believe that he doesn't exist. Because if Satan doesn't exist, and if he can get you to believe that, then either one of two things is going to happen. One, you don't need God. Because who are you fighting against? Nobody. You're fine. But number two, you might be fighting the wrong battle your whole life. You might be thinking that there's something wrong with you, like I did with my tics. But the reality is there was something wrong with me because of Satan. I had to finally fight against the enemy and not against myself. We need to recognize who our battle is against. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against ourselves but it's against our enemy, Satan. Anxiety and depression and fear are a huge problem. And we need to start dealing with this problem. And instead of, instead of having Band-Aid solutions to this, let's start asking the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and help us. Because that is the eternal solution.
There's only one way, and it's through God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to be with you in your presence, to worship you, to learn more about you, to read your word, and to just be with a great body of believers. And God, I just pray for anybody right now who's struggling with fear, struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression, Lord, would you release them from it? God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be on our hearts and be in our minds and cleansing us and renewing us, Lord, that we may think clearly and we may remember that by putting on the helmet of salvation, we are reminded, Lord, of the good news of your son, Jesus. That we don't, want, we don't have to walk forward in fear, but we can walk forward with joy, with contentment, with satisfaction, and with peace in our lives, all because of you, Jesus. There's no book we can read, no movie we can watch, nothing else apart from you, Lord, that we can actually do to fix this issue. It is your power that releases us. It is your power that delivers us. And it is your power that gives us hope for our eternity. It's in your name I pray. Amen.